disclaimer we are very actually anti-murdering people being anti-semitic being racist like we're against all of that and do not endorse it at all that but being said, <laughs> Shania and I, oh, you also might need to turn your headphones down a little bit, Trey. Um, when Shania and I went to hang out with Christian, his neighbors were there and he was talking about the podcast and he was like, I mean, Blake pretty much runs things, but blah, 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 blah. I was like, nice, respect. Yeah, congratulations. You kind of won the battles of the egos and I've just kind of given up. I've thrown in the white towel. It's all Ah, uh, interesting. Okay. You know, fucking whatever. <laughs> I'll quit eventually. I'll rage quit or I'll regular quit or whatever. Who cares? Yeah. He also had to, of course, mention the time that you did quit the podcast to his neighbors. Of course. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm sure it was a very respectful story and painted me in a lovely light. Yeah, of course. Um, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome or welcome back to Totally Biased Music. We're your hosts, Blake and Trey. Christian has bailed on us 30 minutes before our episode um after i did extensive research on a topic so we have called an audible and we have a guest today a very special guest <laughs> our first female presence on the show that's right ladies and gentlemen totally biased music does support women and we, we are feminists we did it joe shania is on the podcast babe say hello hello everybody how excited how excited are you for this? Well, I'm pretty nervous, to be honest, but we're going to give this a shot. We are going to tone down the dick jokes, I think. You know, we're going to play real low-key this episode. Not a chance. Right, Trey? It's a pretty solid chance. I'm, I feel pretty embarrassed to tell, like, you know, I don't really like the dick joke stuff to begin with, so I definitely ah. am going to do it this evening. <laughs> but before we get started, we do need to talk about why Christian isn't here. Um, I'm going to go with nighttime jury duty. I think that he got called interesting. Into, yeah, late night jury duty. I like that one. Yeah. Um, I actually hadn't put much thought into it. Um, I'm thinking working overtime at the gay bar. That's what I think. He had to pick not, up an extra not shift. Just a regular shift? No, 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 no. Overtime shift. Somebody called in sick. He's already worked forty hours this week, but he could use the money and he likes the people that frequent the bar. Right, so he would pick the, up a shift because of the gay. Right, because gay, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. He would <laughs> yeah. make good money. He would make really good money. He would make great money. So, should um, I tell us a little bit about your knowledge of the podcast? Kind of how how do you know us? You know, because I'm sure oh, our listeners are really you curious. Too. <laughs> um. Well, I'm a I'm a fan since day one. Fully support the pod. Um. I know. Blake pretty well, I guess. We like live together in the same house. Um, and I know Trey through Blake. And we've gotcha. Trey, I've known you for a few years now, right? Yeah, it feels you know, it feels like a lifetime. Okay. <laughs> but... <laughs> it's like every more. day knowing you is just it's really <laughs> just another, another year. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I guess probably probably since y'all started dating, you know. I think I yeah. knew you before Blake actually. Mm. You know, like in some, like maybe in a past life. Um, well, you know, I got to say that I am proud of this podcast for really branching out in our diversity and uh, and 
the Manson murders are a good topic to have have you on for because I feel like first off you're gonna know about it way more than I am. Oh, spoiler alert! We're doing Manson murders. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say you did kind of just boss thunder there. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> but I'm gonna have to kind of slide in any words I can tonight because I have no real idea about this topic other than that really bad Netflix documentary, like or docudrama. Um, who was in that? You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll, look, I'll have to look it up. There's going to be a lot of looking up this evening. But anyway, go ahead. Tell us about the Manson murders. Um, yeah, so today we're going to do the Manson murders. Um, we chose the Manson murders because it still technically ta- counts as a music topic because um, Charles Manson made really shitty music. So uh, he was involved with the likes of um, musical people. So we chose the Manson murders. So we're going to get into this. Um, we're going to document kind of Charles his early life, um, the formation of the Manson family, and then the um, night in 1969 <clears throat> where the murders took place, the infamous um, Manson murders. So um, Shania is kind of a cult expert, so it's good to have her on for this. She can kind of, um, she may have been in a cult earlier in her life. I'm not sure if she seems to know a scary amount about them. So uh, maybe she can fill us in on kind of what that's like. <clears throat> um, but Starters, for those that don't know, um, brief rundown. Wait, hold on. Were you actually in a cult? No. <laughs> oh, well, it was no. the facial expression. I was like, damn, holy shit, that's cool. No. <laughs> I was like, we're about to ditch the topic and talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was raised Mormon, so kind of, yeah, actually. Yeah, I was raised Catholic. So Same thing, yeah. but different. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, so Charles Manson was an American criminal musician who led the Manson family, a cult base in California in the late 1960s. Some of the members committed a series of nine murders at four locations in July and August of 1969. In 1971, Manson was convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder for the deaths of seven people, including film actress Sharon Tate. The prosecution contended that while Manson never directly ordered the murders, his ideology constituted an overt act of conspiracy. Before the murders, Manson had spent more than half his life in correctional institutions. While gathering his cult following, Manson was a singer-songwriter on the fringe of the Los Angeles music industry, chiefly through a chance association with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, who introduced Manson to record producer Terry Melcher. In 1968, the Beach Boys recorded Manson's song Cease to Exist and renamed it Never Learn Not to Love as a single B-side, but without credit to Manson. Afterwards, Manson attempted to secure a record contract through Melcher, but was unsuccessful. Um... So I just want to talk about this. Manson's entire musical success can be boiled down to one Beach Boys B-side track, which I think one says more Beach a Beach Boys B-side track than I have. <laughs> it's true, um, but it is funny to me. And also, Sharon Tate is kind of the big thing in these murders. Was she a big actress at the time that this happened, or did she I become a she big was, actress yeah. after the fact? First off, I'm going to big... establish myself as pro Manson. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> strong, strong stance to take there. <laughs> Go ahead, um, No, you're good. Sharon Tate was like a big up and coming actress. She was beautiful. She had been in like a couple movies, but that's why it was such a a big thing she was gonna be a huge star but then because, obviously she died so because she was attractive is that like mainly why they thought she was gonna be a big star well and she yeah, was Sydney in Sweeney, um, basically she was blonde and pretty so yeah but like kind of on that tier of like like Sydney Sweeney's not a movie star yet but she's yeah like, 
well, trending was, that way. Yeah, Perfect she was in, in like one big movie, and then all of this, you know, tragically gotcha. happened. Um, well, tragic for some people, but not for Trey. So, right, right. I will say, and we'll get into this a little bit later. I'm not exactly pro Manson, but through the research and the things I've watched and listened to, I don't necessarily place a ton of blame on him for the things that happen. Um, we will get well, into. I was it. jokingly pro Manson. Sounds like <laughs> we <you're> actually. <laughs> we will get into that in a little bit. Um, but first, let's talk about. Manson's early life. So Manson was born uh, Charles Maddox in 1934 in Cincinnati, Ohio, which being born in Ohio, that's enough reason for me to commit genocide. I got to be honest. Yeah, like terrible. Right. So his mother was Kathleen Maddox, a 16 year old girl who was both an al- alcoholic and a prostitute. Kathleen later married William Manson, but the marriage ended quickly and Charles was placed in a boys' school at age 12. Rejected in his attempts to return to his mother, Charles was soon living on the streets and getting by through petty crime. Over the next 20 years, Manson spent time in and out of reform schools and prisons for various crimes. He was released from prison on March 21st, 1967, um, and then he moved to San Francisco, which is kind of where uh, all this started to begin. So. Um, in an interview with Diane Sawyer, Manson said that he was nine. When he was nine, he set his school on fire. Manson also got in trouble for truancy and petty theft. For a time, Manson had a job delivering messages for Western Union in an attempt to live a f- life free of crime. However, he quickly began to supplement his wages through petty theft. He was eventually caught, and in 1949, a sympathetic judge sent him to Boys Town, a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. After four days at Boys Town, him and a fellow student, Blackie Nielsen, obtained a gun and stole a car. They used it to commit two armed robberies on their way home, um, on their way to the home of Nielsen's uncle in Illinois. Nielsen's oh, uncle's his name was Blackie Nielsen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wonder that if he was white. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nielsen's uncle was a professional thief, and when the boys arrived, he allegedly took them on as apprentices. Manson was arrested two weeks later during a nighttime raid in a Peoria store. In the investigation that followed, he was linked to his two earlier armed robberies and sent to Indiana Boys School, a strict reform school. So the Indiana Boys School thing is important. Um, We have talked about this before. We talked about it briefly with um, Dahmer. I think not on the podcast, but we've had discussions like, someone's formative years when they're a child, especially when things like this happen to them. Um, it kind of leads not to excuse it in any way, but Manson had an extremely tough life leading up to this point. Um, so the crux of it was he got sent to this school, Indiana boys school, which was an insane institution. It was extremely tough. Um, while he was there, he was raped multiple times by other boys in the school um he was also beaten and raped by officers within the school um and it was probably the most negatively influential period of his life uh manson once beat one of his rapists close to death with an iron bar and then accused another one of his rapists of doing the beating um so clearly the school set him back um mentally and emotionally pretty drastically i mean he was 13 at the time this was happening um not that that excuses everything but you know, he kind of got dealt the shit hand. <clears throat> um, let's see. So were we taking like in, in the nature versus nurture argument, like in the greater of like man, 
are we saying that he was nurtured to be an evil person? He was not born with the nature of being evil. That is the direction I go for sure. I don't think that people are inherently like this. Um, I mean, look, the dude was had a fucked up childhood, like extremely fucked up. And this is the case with a lot of people that are like this, that go insane. Um, mm-hmm. You can kind of trace it back to shit that went on to them when they were young. So I've, I've always been a nurture kind of guy. I don't think it excuses everything, but you can't discount it, right? Like had Jeffrey Dahmer had normal parents that wanted to help him, then maybe he wouldn't have turned out the way that he did. If Charles Manson had a normal childhood, he probably wouldn't have turned out the way that he did. So yeah. That's my thoughts on that. Shania, your nature versus nurture. Or what side I don't know. Are you on? I think that you can be born and predisposed to certain, you know, mental illnesses, which make you more likely to become a psychopath, but or sociopath. But early exposure to like dysfunctional childhoods or environmental factors or children who have poor bonds with their parents—that's totally going to make you more likely to become someone like Dahmer, Charles Manson. That makes sense. Um, so Manson broke out again in 1951, um, this time with a pair of boys. They drove a stolen car across state lines, which is a federal offense. Uh, when they ran into a roadblock in Utah, okay. he was sent to <laughs> uh, <laughs> National Training School for Boys in Washington, D.C. Um, he thus began a long stint in the federal reformatory system. From there, Manson went to the Natural Bridge Honor Camp, where he was caught raping a boy at knife point. Uh, to a federal reformatory in Virginia where he racked up similar offenses and then to a reformatory in Ohio um, where a run of good behavior earned him early release in 1954. His caseworkers at the time had taken note of his, quote, antisocial behavior and psychic trauma. Um, So less than a year after that, he had a wife, he had a baby on the way. He took up various service jobs. Um, You know, he was living a decent life for a short amount of time. Um, then started stealing cars again, driving them across state lines, other petty crimes. Um, so these crimes, plus his failure to attend a hearing related to one of them, netted him a three-year sentence in Terminal Island, a federal prison in San Pedro, California. By the time he got out, his wife had filed for divorce, and he turned to pimping to make a living. So this is kind of where Charles starts to hit final form, right? He starts pimping, okay? And he starts honing in his skills of of coercing coercing women um he was basically he met somebody in prison i read um that basically taught him how to be a quote-unquote good pimp he taught him to basically make these women love him um he's he's kind of like an old school andrew tate essentially is what he is like he gets these women to fall Women don't love andrew tate Women do. Some women do love Andrew Tate. And he was kind of doing the same thing. He was like doing this whole sex trafficking thing, which Charles Manson was kind of doing. So he kind of Tate kind of stole his whole shtick, honestly. And I just kind of realized that now. Sidebar, did you see Andrew Tate's tweet about uh, Festival Girls? I did. Yes, we have to read that later. I'm going to run that. I'll I'll throw that on the tweets. Um, Okay, so we going to talk about some of this stuff, or like we just kind of going to read read our book report here because I'm proud. Well, let's go. I mean, what you can chime in whenever you want. You know, I'm just setting the background for what's about to happen. You know, when do you think he took acid for the first time? That's my question. Is that in? Is that in our report? Definitely. When he moved to San Francisco, it had to be. What year was that? 1967. 
Yeah, probably. Right? He moved there wasn't much acid off the West Coast, like not on the West Coast. Right. Like in elite circles at that point. And he moved. I don't know much about Charles Manson, but I do know a decent amount about the history of LSC 25. <laughs> he, he, he moved to Hate Ashbury, bro. That was like acid capital. Have you ever been to Hate Ashbury? I have. I have. I actually went to San Francisco for a bass nectar show. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, okay. So when Manson uh, eventually got arrested again for the pimping and the prostitution and all that jazz, he was stuck in prison for the long haul. It was a 10 year sentence. Um, This is where he took, he dabbled in a bunch of things, like a bunch of different religions, hypnotism, all this other weird shit, but then landed eventually on Scientology, um, which is awesome. You know, we all love Scientology. And (laughs) this girl from Mad Men, who's also a big Scientologist, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, I can't stand her. Um, did you watch what's that show, Handmaid's Tale? I didn't. Did you watch Handmaid's Tale, Shania? I did. Yeah. Well, I'm not like super caught up, but I liked it, and I don't hate what's her name, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss. Moss. Yeah, I don't hate her as much as as you do, but I thought it was a good show. I, like I can't her Mad Men. I don't like hate her. I, I like her Mad Men. Yeah, but then I learned she was a Scientologist and it turned me off and I don't like watching stuff with her in it now. But did you see, uh, what's the movie with Tom Cruise, the new one, the awesome one? The sequel? Come on, Top Gun 2? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, was a great awesome. movie. It that was, was really movie. good. It really well, was. See, that's a little, I don't really know if it's okay if you not hate Tom Cruise, yeah. but you hate it. No. <laughs> Sure, it's a little sexist of me. Uh-huh. Um, okay, here uh, in prison, Manson, this is when his obsession with becoming a musician started. Um, he uh, watched the Beatles rise to fame through prison. He started playing the guitar. He started to envy them. Many believe the driving force behind Manson's actions were all based in his desire to be a rock star and his failure to do so. He's a sad little man, short little man. He is five foot six, by the way. Which, oh really? Yeah, <laughs> and he's not. So the, the thing is, like that he was attractive, right? But he's not no, attractive. No, he wasn't. That wasn't him. No, he was. He was very charismatic, and that's how he got all of these women to like follow his lead. Other, you know, like people, like I mean, Dahmer wasn't attractive. He was just weird. He, I mean, people say that Dahmer was attractive in his time, but like um, Ted Bundy was attractive, that he was semi-attractive. So like, yeah. he, that's how he got women to take care of him but charles manson was just like a charismatic you know guy yeah what am i doing wrong (laughs) (laughs) i don't get it you're not charismatic enough dude brother i might be the most charismatic guy i know except one thing i write on my resume like i am charismatic (laughs) well they very much which we can get into later with the formation of the manson family but he kind of we shania and i talked about this earlier like the whole free love hippie movement, like, was actually, I'm going to sound a little New York, New York Timesy here, but was very oh, based, God. was very based in like predatory nature towards young women, like young susceptible women that were oftentimes under the influence. I think so, based might be the wrong word, but taken advantage of by people yeah. who followed into that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that was also a driving factor with how many, how he got so many women to be a part of like, and not even family. not even women it was chill like children young girls one of the young girls that was in the family was 13 i think oh she my was God. a child yeah. yeah 
Yeah. yeah. And like had her family's blessing to go be with this family and everything. Yeah. It's- so was yeah. the concept basically that they were like an actual, like, like they were a community of people who like, you know, live not off the grid, but in their own. Really off the design. grid. It sounds yeah. like such a cool concept. Like I would totally do that. But then like, it's awful the way that he treated these women and the things that obviously the things that they did, but the concept in itself is really cool. Yeah, I want to live on a commune, like, for real. I think that would be awesome. We should do it. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're invited. Yeah, let's let's, <laughs> let's let's make one. Like, all of us. Let's make a totally biased music compound. Okay, cool. <laughs> and just go full Waco with it. And, like, Trey's, like, Trey's, like, mending the garden. I come back with, like, 37 guns. He's, like, what are you, what is your job here? <laughs> you're, like, I'm the gun guy. Obviously, I just bring look at what guns. I have. I have 37 fucking guns. <laughs> okay, so, um, Manson was eventually released early um in 1967 at that point he was a full scientologist um he had gone to meetings and parties in los angeles completed 150 quote-unquote auditing hours so he was he was full scientology at this point so in 1967 he is released he goes to san francisco and um at this point he gas he starts to gather all of his people right he ends up gathering around 100 disciples most of them being teenage females um and taught them basically his version of peace and love and they were called the manson family they viewed him as jesus so um now we're getting into basically they view him as a jesus like figure or an actual reincarnation of jesus christ from the bible they viewed him he told them that he was the second coming like he told them that he was god am i correct in that yeah, he was the son of man is what he used to say. Yeah. Okay. Which sounds like, you know, extra steps to just say you're God. Like just say that's, you're God. I mean, that's what yeah. that's what Jesus Jesus was the son of man. Right. Ah. Ah. Yeah. Okay. See, I didn't know that. Need to go back yeah. to Bible study. Um <laughs> <laughs> so when uh Charlie was first trying to get things going, um, he met a twenty three year old Mary Brunner. Um, the two soon began a relationship and he moved in with her. As the story goes, Manson was able to convince Brunner to allow other women who embraced hippie culture to live with them. At a point, it was said that Brunner's apartment housed up to 18 other women who had gotten radicalized by Manson's teachings. He portrayed himself as the son of man while he taught his followers that they were the original Christians. Charles Manson struggled to get his <laughs> this is great. Charles Manson struggled to get his singing and songwriting career going, but eventually caught a big break in late spring of 1968 following a chance meeting with drummer and founding member of the Beach Boys, Trey, your boy Dennis Wilson. Hey, Beach Boys, shout out. Um, I have a feeling that this chance meeting was at a drug deal um, or some <laughs> form of drug activity. Right? <laughs> so they just run each other at Baskin Robbins on the street in LA. So essentially what happened was he met um, Wilson met one of like two of Charles's girls. Like he saw them somewhere and basically like was hanging out with them. And they're like, Oh, you should meet our God. And he was like, what? And Charles Charles Manson showed up. Can you pass me the mayonnaise? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he, he basically met two of Charles's girls and then they introduced him to um, Wilson from there. Um, so yeah, we talked about it earlier, but their song um, "Never Learn Not to Love" is also is actually a Charles Manson song. Cease to exist. 
Um, so Manson basically exploited the drug happy, freewheeling goodwill of the era of the 1960s by bonding with his would be followers, then luring them into imbalanced and manipulative relationships. He quickly target targeted his first follower, 23 year old Mary Brunner to her house and her income. Brunner had moved to California to work as a librarian respect turned easily to petty crime and supported Manson while he recruited followers. So she kind of was the top dog of the house. She was the breadwinner per se, which is a lot how like Shania and I work. She kind of brings home the bread. I go out, do hippie stuff. And, you know, she supports me in that, which I appreciate. That sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> Trace, like, I want that. <laughs> I do. I was born to be a stay-at-home dog dad. Born yeah, to that, be a stay-at-home dog dad. The picture you posted today of your balcony looked really nice. You know, I appreciate you acknowledging that. It is really nice. It's a vibe. <laughs> I just did yoga out there when I got back from my jujitsu class. Yeah, that's right. I do physical activity. What's up? I can't get over the jujitsu thing, man. Like I fucking, I tried to sign up for, I like the boxing gyms. They're like $180 a month. This shit's $15 a class. It's not bad. How many classes are you going to? one, One class a week. That's fair. That's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And, for, and it's pay what you it's like mm-hmm. pay what you can fifteen dollars suggested donation. So like one day I'm like, nah, fuck you, then I just won't pay. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, okay, so this is what we were talking about earlier. Um hippie communities of the sixties often wound up um reifying the same restrictive and imbalanced gender norms that were uh, purported that they purported to escape. They were especially damaging to young women who often became vulnerable targets of sexual assault. The story of Manson's youngest known follower, Diane Lake, is a quintessential example. Lake's family had moved from Minnesota to California just to participate in the counterculture lifestyle while living in a free love commune called Wavy Gravy's Hog Farm. (laughs) Lake's parents allowed her to take drugs and have sex. She met Manson when she was 14 years old. Now, great parenting by these fucking people. But I just love the fact that I can just picture them like in the 60s. They lived in like bumfuck Minnesota and they were tired of their lives. They probably worked as like travel agents or something. And they're like, let's just go be hippies. Like, let's just try it out. And they moved to Wavy Gravy's hog farm and just start doing acid and having sex with people. <laughs> I mean, the Wavy Gravy's hog farm is a big time draw. Yeah. Right? Like, it just sounds like name. a string cheese incident, like a long jam song. Yeah. Just the name of it. Um, with full approval of her parents, Lake immediately began a sexual relationship with Manson and joined the family. She did not participate in the Manson murders, but she was living with the cult when the murders took place, and her knowledge of them made her a major witness during Manson's prosecution. Today, she argues that the 60s counterculture was a cover for women like her and other Manson girls to be abused or taken advantage of. So, how about that, Trey? You got something to say well, to her? I sure do. Um, I just asked Chat GPT if Charles Manson was a bad person, and Chat GPT said yes. He was wide, widely regarded as a bad person, not only due to his manipulative behavior and involvement in murders, but he also was racist and anti-Semitic. You can't he, do that. He was racist, which is why I feel the need to reiterate: I'm not a Charles Manson defender. Okay, I just want to get that on the record. Okay, I just you know we can't. 
what, whatever. We'll get into it later. So, um, yeah, so Mr. Manson believed in a apocalyptic race war that he called Helter Skelter, much like the Beatles song, Helter Skelter. Um, and he believes that the song, the, the lyrics from that song, predicted a coming race war between black and white people in America, um, which is what he referred to as Helter Skelter. Uh, so You're just reading chat GPTs? <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm just reading chat GPT. It's my new thing. Um, I had it do a whole word proposal for me today, and it fucking nailed it and i'm like mm, cool i just got ai okay this is the thing though you're you are like you're getting a little ahead but the helter the helter skelter thing is not necessarily on it like a timeline the helter skelter thing <laughs> isn't necessarily what happened there's a little bit of a debate about why he did what he did and Sounds like a little more a manson apologist to me blake <laughs> um Shai, what do you think about the hippie movement in the 60s? Do you think women were taken advantage of? I think that the whole hippie movement was taken advantage of. I think it started out as a true free love, you know, lifestyle. And then people like Charles Manson, not quite as bad, but people took advantage of that because women were trying to express their free selves and men thought that it was the perfect opportunity to kind of kind of swing on that and yeah and take advantage of it so i don't think that the hippie movement in general was a bad thing that was initiated for that simple fact i think it was turned into that later do you think you would have been a part of manson's family probably no i'm just kidding um (laughs) (laughs) no i think there's a lot of guys that are five foot six yeah that's not really my vibe yeah, five foot five foot ten by the way, just so everybody knows. No, um, that's cool. it's tall, dude. Not that's tall. Am I that's taller than you now? I think I am. the same height as Allen Iverson, and he's one of the greatest basketball players ever. He tried to tell people he was six feet, but he was not. Allen Iverson was definitely not six feet. No fucking shot. Um okay. Manson relot what? I wanna go back to you were talking about since you know this is a music podcast, I figured we should throw some tidbits of music in there. Um, Axl Rose covered a Charles Manson song as well. Did you know that? That seems like an Axl Rose thing to fucking do, yeah. actually. Yeah, Guns N' Roses' <laughs> uh, Look, at, Look at Your Game Girl was a Charles Manson written song, and it's on their The Spaghetti Incident from 1993. Huh. So yeah. that was way after all this stuff took place. Really interesting yeah. choice by Guns yeah. N' Roses. <laughs> yeah. That band. One of my favorite Guns N' Roses story, this little sidebar, is when Nirvana started to blow up, Nirvana had tried at one point to, like, open for Guns N' Roses when they were super big, and they, like, had basically snuffed them, and after Nirvana blew up, Axl Rose wanted to tour with Nirvana, and so he, there's, like, this, uh, Dave Grohl tells the story about one time they were in an airport, and basically Axl Rose like kept calling Kurt Cobain and Kurt Cobain was like, this fucking dude will not leave me alone because he didn't want to go on tour with them. But Axl Rose would not let it go. <laughs> that sounds about right. You're probably hyped up on the world's greatest cocaine. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Manson traveled throughout California, approaching young women in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park, as well as Los Angeles's Venice Beach, presenting himself as a religious figure and urging them to follow him by surrendering their identities to him completely. His follower account grew in the fall, and in the fall of 1967, Manson packed up the family and moved them to Los Angeles towards his dream of Hollywood stardom. 
So this is where his uh, music industry begins to grow, his connections. Um, he was making you know, connections with producers, with people from the Beach Boys, all this other shit. Um, Universal producer Gary Stromberg granted uh, Manson a recording session only to find Manson unprepared, unreliable, and untalented. Um, kind of sounds like us getting prepped for a podcast episode, quite frankly. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, by far, Manson's most valuable connection, however, uh, was Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. So this part I highlighted because it's kind of a uh, pivotal point in the Manson story. Manson was especially successful in manipulating Wilson. Throughout 1968, Wilson allowed Manson and the family to live in his house on Sunset Boulevard and lent Manson hundreds of thousands of dollars to help him record an album in exchange for sexual gratification from Manson's female followers. Thanks a lot, Dennis Wilson. Uh, I mean, but just flexing those pimp skills he learned before. Yeah, exactly. You have to say the guy was was a nut job. He at least you know had compounding learning capability. And was able to demonstrate his, you know, his vast knowledge. And I'm just saying that's useful in a corporate context, like right. being able to build upon your experience, understanding where your shortcomings might have happened, and then like, you know, correcting those going forward. And so another, I'm not saying I'm pro Manson. I'm just saying I am pro skill sets. Right. And another thing that he did is like he called his people, he called his followers a family, and you know that's a big thing with corporations. Like we're all a family. We're all know? a family. Here's a pizza party. You don't get a raise. Go piss right. on the wall. Right. If he were born 40 years later, he would be running a fucking bank somewhere or something. Oh, man. He'd be like the associate director of marketing at, like, I don't know, Target or something. Exactly. Um, So Dennis Wilson's manager finally evicted Charles Manson and the family in August of 1968. And then they ended up at the infamous Spawn Movie Ranch, a popular site for filming westerns where once again – Manson traded the sexual favors of his female followers to ranch owners in exchange for free room and board. George Spawn allowed them to stay there. George was 80 years old at this point and blind. Uh, Wilson tried to promote Manson's music and even convinced the Beach Boys to record one of his songs. Um, He also introduced Manson to Terry Melcher, the son of Doris Day. Through Melcher, a record producer, put off put off the issue of whether he would sign Manson. He stayed friendly with the family during this time. Melcher also dated up and coming Hollywood star Candace Bergen, who rented a house at one zero zero five zero Saleo drive. Both Wilson and Manson frequently visited Bergen and Melcher at the house. So this is important because that is the house that the murders take place at, which we will circle back to later. But I just have to say, why was this dude living at this I don't understand the living situation of like living on a Western ranch they use for shooting movies. Like I imagine they had bunk beds. Were they just sleeping like on the floor of the fake Western setups? Like what the, there was a hundred of them. I don't understand. Wait, he had a hundred people in the family. Yes. I thought it was like, like, like 15, 20. No dude. He had up to a hundred people at one point. This guy's making director. That's what I'm saying. And like this 80 year old blind dude is just letting them run amok and on his ranch because he's having sex with like 20 year old hippies. Like everything about the 80, what do you have to fucking lose? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I didn't think he was going to make it much was longer. It, charge him rent? <laughs> like, it was like $8 back then. You know how shitty the economy has gotten for the middle class since the sixties? 
You can just be like, oh, yeah, we're going to pack up and move 100 people to California. None of us have jobs. And boom, we're good. We'll figure it out. Well, when you train sexual favors, everything gets a lot easier. You would have to clear a million dollars a month to be able to have 100 people living in California today. It's got to be more than that. Got to be more than a million dollars. Let's think about it. So what do you think a three-bedroom apartment is in in Northern California? Just on average, $5,000 a month? Yeah. Okay. What's 5,000 times... 35. I I don't know. Okay. <laughs> oh, I got you. I got 175,000. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, so like probably half a million dollars when you factor in food and water. Interesting. Okay. That's fair. Um Okay, so Manson was aware that Melcher and Bergen had moved out of the house at uh 150 Saleo Drive. In fact, the house is now being rented by filmmaker Roman Polanski and his wife, Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate, but Manson seemed to have the house fixed in his head as a microcosm of Hollywood itself, everything that he had been denied. What's another important thing to note here is most of the people that were with Manson at the ranch were in their teens and early 20s. So that's the formation of the family. Um, this kind of sets the stone. So now we're going to get into the infamous murders. Um, so one thing to note here is these people were constantly on acid and on mushrooms, like literally day in, day out, constantly on some sort of hallucinogenic substance. Like that's not how you're supposed to use those drugs. Yeah, exactly. So their brains were fucking fried to the point where none of them re- really even understood or knew what the fuck was going on half the time, um, which kind of plays into everything that happened. So Charles Tex Watson, um, Trey, that should be your nickname. You want a nickname? Let's call, let's call you Tex. Wait, what you kind of seem like, the other day, that I like so uh, big guy. <laughs> I like that. I like big guy better than Tex. I'm not from Texas. It doesn't feel genuine, but I am a big guy. <laughs> Um, so Charles Tex Watson, um, was the primary dick writer for Charles Manson. Um, he was kind of his go-to guy, his number two. Um, he was from Coatville, Texas. He was a football player, a churchgoer. He was a, he was a national Coatville, C-O-T-E. Uh, really excited about a place for a second. <laughs> um, so he was, he was kind of a good boy. He was a good old boy. Um, and Tex was introduced to the Manson family through Dennis Wilson. Again, Dennis Wilson, I like, he's got to be on the hot seat at this point. He's kind of responsible for a lot of this. I'm pretty sure he drowned. Did he really? Yeah, hold on. Let me ask chat GPT. I'll be right back. <laughs> um, Charles, or sorry, Tex was introduced to the Manson family through Dennis Wilson, who sold weed to him because he got, he couldn't afford to live at the time. Um, fun fact. I don't know why I wrote fun fact here because this is not a fun fact. Have you written all of this? You're not like reading this off of Wikipedia? Some of it I wrote, some of it I pulled. Um, Fun fact, Manson used to jerk off text to get him ready to have sex with the girls. Wait, he – hold on, hold on, hold on. (laughs) Manson was doing the jerking. Yes. It's not very godly behavior. For text to get him ready to have sex with the Manson girls. Why? So many questions. (laughs) I don't know. Um, really quick though, ChatGPT said that 
Yes, Dennis Wilson, the drummer for the Beach Boys, died on December 28, 1963. He drowned while diving near his boat in Marina del Rey, California. He was 39 when he drowned. Interesting. So he, he doesn't have to deal with all the fallout from this. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He's not on the hospital <laughs> at all. Um, okay, so, babe, do you want to describe the um, the helter-skelter theory a little bit here? Because I'm not a big proponent of this theory um but you you kind of know about it the hollywood is awful theory yeah yeah so that was that's one of the theories um that charles manson hated hollywood and you know everything to do with capitalism and all of this it was just like death to society so he associated uh 150 cielo drive because of who were the who were the guys that lived there it was the old producer. Yeah. Um, who Terry to- totally obliterated everything, like everything in Charles Manson's psyche. So he now associates this with his fallout that never got started in Hollywood. Um, so that's why everyone thinks that they attacked all of these people for the simple fact that Hollywood sucks. Capitalism sucks. It's the death of society. We're going to show them that, you know, this is what happens to rich people. So when you say obliterated his psyche, like like he like rejected him for like a role or something, or he basically like told him like, yeah, we're not, not making talented. a record with you, yeah, yeah, gotcha. yeah. Okay. okay. When he yeah. thought, you know, he thinks he's the son of man. When you have that kind of egotistical, like persona personality about you, when someone says you suck, like you're not good at this, you should probably find a different job. Then immediately it's like everything is everything's out the window so charles manson didn't like rejection right hated capitalism was relatively unattractive but had a lot of charisma <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah. Facts about charles man about charles manson yeah. <laughs> right right right, right. Okay, not cool. anybody else just we're talking about charles <laughs> manson else, here. <laughs> just those four facts of charles manson okay cool just making sure yeah yeah um so he there's also a theory that so the 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 helter skelter theory with the Beatles song and the race war and all that stuff, that was Bugliosi's theory. He was the primary prosecutor in the case, and he essentially ran with this idea that Manson believed through his abundance of psychedelic use and listening to the Beatles that a race war was going to happen. And he heard this in the song Helter Skelter. He believed Helter Skelter was what was kind of the the call to say, hey, a race war is about to happen. And so he used the murders to expedite this process, writing Helter Skelter on the wall in blood. Granted, they spelt it wrong because they were fucked up. They spelt it Helter Skelter. Um, well, again, can be hard. not the most competent group of people. Um the problem with this is that's the prosecutor's story and he took it and ran with it. Multiple Manson family members generally claim that Manson himself never came up with the idea of murdering rich Hollywood piggies, quote unquote, and that this idea originated from group conversations while Manson wasn't even present. So the first murder that happens is the murder of Gary Henman. So Gary Henman was a drug dealer for the Manson family. Um, and this is a, just a neat story all around. Okay. Gary Hinman makes a bad batch of mescaline. Okay. And gives it to the Manson family. Manson sells it to some bikers. 
Okay. All the bikers get really fucking sick, super fucked up. So they're pissed at Manson. Manson calls Hinman and is basically telling him, Hey, this is a bad batch. Like they want their money back, blah, 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 blah. Hinman won't give it to him. So Manson casually, like offhandedly says to one of the girls, like he hangs up the phone and is like, I should kill that motherfucker. And then like kind of looks at her like half joking, half serious and says, you should go kill him for me. Like kind of just tosses it out there. They oh, I'm just kind of just kind of brainstorming ideas of how to resolve this issue. You should go uh, fucking murder that guy. <laughs> yeah. Like he kind of casually dropped. It wasn't like he was like, here's the plan. Go do this. Like he kind of offhandedly says it. They're so fucked up. They can't determine what is serious and what is not. So they go to his house and basically fuck with him for a night and end up killing him. And they come back in his car and Charlie's like, the fuck? Why do you have this guy's car? They're like, oh, we murdered him. And at this point, Charlie's like, oh, okay. Um, And they had written political piggy on the wall and left a bloody handprint to try to make it look like the Black Panthers had did it. And so they kind of tell Charlie, they're like, hey, like it's it's the whole race war thing, bro. We're getting it started. And Charles is like, fucking hell, man. I didn't mean for that to happen. Um, so at this point, this is where things start to spiral out of control. So um, ostensibly, Mason ordered his followers to commit the Tate LaBianca murders because he was trying to jumpstart what he perpetuated to believe was a coming race war. Allegedly, if that's what you believe. Um, so. What happened was somebody in the family got basically got arrested for this murder. So in Manson's mind, he wanted to create another murder um, that would replicate the Hinman murder and take the pressure off of um, who was it? Bousselli? Bousselli. So Bousselli, he thought was going to crack under the impression of being interrogated. So he wanted to create another murder um that would replicate this they would think that the person that killed henman was still out there so what happens is again he he tells tex at some point that in the gambling world we call that doubling down (laughs) that is correct that is correct he doubled down right he would just put it all on a parlay his idea to fix the initial murder was to murder more. He kind of, it's kind of the same, like it's the Dante's Inferno method, right? Like you don't, you don't, you go straight towards the center of hell to get through it. You don't try to escape out the side. So that's kind of what he was doing. Like that Um, country song says, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, so he tells Tex, again, they're all obliterated on LSD and whatever the fuck they're taking. And he tells Tex, like, if you're going to go murder somebody, the quote is, you should go to someplace like Terry's house, like Terry's old house. Like, he kind of just says it as in, like, you should go to a place like that to commit a murder, like, because that's the people he wanted to kill. Tex took that as, I'm going to go to Terry's old house and kill all the people there. Now, this is where the the waters get a little muddy, because Shania and I were talking about this earlier. Charles says he never directly said it. He says he he said something like Terry's old house. Tex says that he specifically told him go to Terry's old house and kill all the people inside. And then the prosecutor (laughs) says that he said go to Terry's house and kill all the people inside. But in Manson's own own words, 
he said that he was trying to get them to go to a place like Terry's old house because he knew Terry was not there anymore. The prosecutor states that he wanted him to go there because he thought Terry was still there. And Charles is basically like, I knew he wasn't fucking there. He hadn't been there forever. So why he chose that house, no one really fucking knows. Um, so that's when the LaBianca murders, or no, not the LaBianca murders, the Tate murders happen. Um, he says, Tex, when he goes to the house at one point, says, uh, they ask him, who are you? What are you doing here? And he says, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. Which <laughs> really creative by Tex. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, and then after those murders, um, the next day, Charles Manson decides, no, you still didn't kill them properly. Um, I'm going to go with you to the LaBianca house and help you execute these murders properly. So now we call this tripling down. So okay. the first murder is late at night. You've had a lot to drink. Right. And you're like, listen, I got 50 bucks left. I'm going to put it all on black. Yep. And we're just going to cross our fingers. I got to do it. You know, and he just, he starts to realize these people are too fucked up. They can't commit murder properly. I'm going to go help them. Um, Charles never pulls the trigger on anybody. He never kills anybody in these murders. He he goes along, but he he doesn't have that dog in him. You know, like he's not built for this. So he never he never actually kills anybody. Um ain't got that murder dog in him. Ain't got that dog in him. Mm-hmm. So the police eventually uh raid the ranch that they're living on. This is after the murders. This is months after the murders. They raided the ranch because they were stealing Volkswagens and turning them into dune buggies, which is a super redneck, cool thing to do. Um, I think that is actually, like, all jokes aside, pretty fucking badass. <laughs> so, and classic LAPD style, the charges were dropped two days later due to the police writing the wrong date on the search warrant. Um, yeah, so Charlie was convinced that someone had snitched to the police, um, and he, for some reason, was convinced no one in the family would do it. So he honed in on a man named Donald Shea, who worked at the ranch taking care of horses. Um, so they kill him, too. They take him out for a car ride. Charlie's driving. Um, they're in the backseat. They just fucking basically beat the guy and stab him to death and kill him. Okay. Um, so after this murder, the family moved into a desert on Baker, moved into the desert on Baker Ranch uh, and the police eventually raided it for theft and arms possession. So October 12th, 1969, two months after the murders, was the final raid when Manson was arrested. The Manson family was so relieved there. This is a real, real fucking story. The Manson family was so relieved they were being arrested for traffic violations and other bullshit like that, that they started singing the White Album in jail. And one of the police officers put two and two together and realized they were singing Helter Skelter. And after that, the fucking wheels come off. And that is when they start to realize. That's how they got caught? Yes. They didn't even raid them for the murders. They raided them for other shit, like arms possession. And then they found then they started singing Helter Skelter in jail, and then the cops put two and two together. So that's when the the wheels fall off. Um Sadie, one of the girls in jail, was bragging to one of her cellmates about being a part of the Tate murders. Um, they go back to the crime scene. There was, I mean, there was shit everywhere. There was fingerprints everywhere. They had literally taken the murder weapons and like on their way out, like five feet down the road, just threw them out the window. So they found those like it all just fucking uh, just falls off from there. So they're all given the death penalty, which eventually got revoked in the state of California. 
So they're now all serving life in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Soft fucking. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Um, so even back then, even back then, I mean, he was like 35, 40 at that point. So like, exactly. I mean, actually. <laughs> um, so yeah, Char, uh, Charles Manson died in prison. Um, what was it like two years ago, two or three years ago? Oh, did he really? Yeah. It was relatively recent that he passed away. Um, so yeah, they all eventually got caught for some bullshit and, died in prison. Some of them are still alive. And one of them got released at the age of like 16, became a real estate agent. So uh, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. So first off, I would like to point out before we move on um, that in, in when this happened, Joe Biden was actually 37 years old, which is seven years older than I am now. Shut the fuck up. Was he actually born in 1942? Holy fuck. Yeah, to put in context how fucking old 80 years old is. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Secondly, so I would like to put my conspiracy hat on a little bit. Okay. And maybe talk about how the federal government and the media used this Manson story as a way to sway public opinion on the hippie movement. Um, because before it was just kind of viewed as this counterculture you know, like obviously there were people took issue with the the general like rejection of society and their kids running off to go join the circus and shit like that. But no one, there was no fear surrounding it. You don't think mansion, so? Not not like physical violence fear. No, there was like the kid took a bunch of acid, jumped out a window type fear, um, but not to the effect from my understanding and very brief research on Chat GPT. <laughs> Um, not to the effect of what happened afterwards. So do you think that the media and the federal government might have pushed this to fuel their drug war agenda? Because Should remember, I? this is all about this is all about Vietnam. At the end of the day, the anti-hippie movement from the federal government is all about fighting the Vietnam like anti-Vietnam protests. They want to keep that fucking war going as long as they possibly can to wash their money. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. No. Uh, Chania, thoughts? I mean, I don't think that's totally like way out of left field. Doesn't the media always do that with basically everything? They try and grab their little, you know, put their little, sink their teeth into the people who are going to take it way out and say that this has always been a fear and this is this is a huge thing and a huge problem. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the media does that with everything. So I don't think you're, I don't think you're far off there. But Thank you. yeah, no, you're not I, wrong either. Yeah, I think it was, I think there was definitely some fear surrounding it, like you said, you know, took too many drugs, had an accident or, or whatever, or the, oh, hello, um, or the occasional, love? Yes. Um, <laughs> or the, you know, the, the, you know, um, assault of women. I think that was still a fear in general, but not as bad as after this happened. So I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's weird to me, like, I feel like it should have been more of a satanic panic thing, which I think it kind of was to a degree. And like, it should have been more of like a cult thing. It just so happened to be that they were hippies and they kind of took that and ran with it, which is strange right. to me. Um, But like, I don't know. I don't I don't I would be interested to see how it was like dealt with and talked about at the time that it happened. Whereas like because we know with Waco, I mean, the closest like 
similar thing that I can think of in recent times is Waco and Waco is covered on like national media. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know if like Manson's trial and things of that nature were covered to that extent, or if it was just after the fact that they started to talk about it. Just chat GPT on that argument against the fucking second amendment is fucking Waco. Oh, you think you can fight back against the government? No, they'll just go burn you and your children inside your fucking house. Just okay. Here's, Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Waco is, and look, I don't want to be I don't want to be another cult guy apologist, but I just want to say prior to the ATF rolling up and shooting people, David Crest wasn't really doing much. He, he was, was vibing, dude. I mean, like vibing, like, just, in, like, you know, kind of like molesting children. Not cool, but we don't go fucking shoot up the Catholic Church down the street because they're doing that, too. Exactly. No, he had fucking weapons. Exactly. They literally, that, but that's the. It's not even an anti. Mom, I'm really sorry if someone. <laughs> You're really it's not even an, an anti Second Amendment thing. Like the that shows that like the government doesn't want you to have weapons. Like they 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 had bought a shit ton of guns, but they weren't doing anything. Like they got mad and scared that a bunch of people had guns. And then they just show up and so anyway I start blasting and fucking <laughs> just, <laughs> start throwing firebombs in there. Cause I mean like fuck it, right? Yeah, like, literally what are they gonna do? just because like they had guns was essentially why they went there in the first place. And I love that documentary on Netflix. They're like, well, you know, like they fired the first shots and everybody they have like people from the compound there and they're like no we didn't (laughs) we absolutely did not absolutely fucking not yeah they're coming out with like a sequel to that somehow it's about like the trial yeah because that's a showtime thing right was that a showtime special it was netflix okay well i saw like a showtime like advertisement the other day maybe it's a whole different documentary waco doc showtime oh let me ask chat gpp um while you do that yeah it's called the aftermath so i think it is like a sequel i think it has some of the same people in it interesting Um, yeah yeah Yeah, i mean isn't mike yeah because michael shannon was in the first one right yeah yeah he's like the main dude i mean look you know a lot of these guys kind of get a bad rap i'm just saying not that they're totally innocent. That's not what I'm saying. Don't put words in my mouth. I'm just saying, you know, you, you, let, let me <laughs> let me steer the conversation <laughs> elsewhere. Okay, what are y'all's final thoughts on Charles Manson? Trey, okay. lead us off. Okay, first off, this is the clip that you need to put at the beginning of the episode. Disclaimer, we are very actually anti-murdering people, being anti-Semitic, being racist. Like, we're against all of that and do not endorse it at all. But! (laughs) I'm kidding. There's no but at the end of this sentence. That's just the people. Um, But, you know, listen, I I think that Charles Manson obviously had some very deep-seated issues. And unfortunately, some innocent people suffered because of it. Um, you know, definitely deserve to go to jail for the rest of his life. Glad he didn't do death sentence because I'm, I'm anti-death sentence in any given situation. I think the death sentence, the, the death sentence is super fucking weird. Um, that's another story. <laughs> I support I support the death penalty to show that killing is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is an interesting format for this podcast. It's very different. Um, and, and I enjoyed it. I learned a lot that I feel like I kind of knew, like maybe in the back of my head, but I haven't thought about it in a while. Nice. So thank you for that.
Yeah. And the Beach Boys are awesome, and the Beatles are awesome. Those are my All right, Shania, <laughs> final thoughts on our boy Charlie. Um, well, him, him, himself. I think he's an awful person. I think most people like him are. So those are my final thoughts on Charles Manson. But thanks for giving me, you know, like five minutes heads up to cram my little book and find all the information in the back of my head uh, to do this. Yeah, no worries. I think you did. I think you did great. I also kind of am taking an issue with you calling him Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it feels a little too. That's, I don't know yeah. what the right word for it is. That's his name. His name is Charlie Manson. No, it's Charles. It's Charles. I thought it was Charlie. And no, no one calls you Blakey. Then I because my that's not my name. Well, Charlie's not his name. <laughs> oh, his name. Oh, he was born Charles Maddox. I thought it was Charlie. Um. Oh. All right. My final thoughts on the Manson murders are okay. this. Here we go. I yeah, think I like this as well. I think that Charlie Mm-mm. inadvertently, accidentally <laughs> caused some murders, be due to the fact that they were all so fucked up and hopped up on their idea of the end of the world that he granted he fed them. But I don't think he specifically requested this to happen. I think he made the comments in passing and they took it as I need to go do this because they viewed him as a god. Now, did he need to serve jail time? For sure. I don't know if life was necessary. He never actually killed anybody. Yeah, but did he rape like like tons of women? 13 year old girls. Yeah, but that's not what he was on trial for. He was yeah, on. But tri- that's, but you said he Besides didn't the ch- point. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, I'm talking about the murder specifically. If we're talking about the murder specifically, he never killed anybody, and he was convicted on first degree murder. How did you get convicted yeah. on first degree murder when you didn't kill anybody? Okay, but if you say like, "Hey, maybe like this would be uh, theoretically a good idea that maybe you could go kill some people," and then you come back and you're your people are like, I, we killed these people. Haha. And he's like, you didn't do it right. So I'm going to go with you this time. Like to, to tell you how to do murder the correct way. What is your logic? I mean, here's yeah. the thing. I like constantly, like when I get drunk, I'm like, we should just go. Like I say it as a, a joke. Like, it, like what if Trey, yeah. I should probably mute that out actually. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> what if, actually. But what if yeah. Trey actually, what, take if, that part. <laughs> what if Trey actually went to go do that? Like what, now I'm that, now I'm going to be charged for it. But that's not the direct correlation. The, the, the correlation is you're like, Hey, we should go. You should. Go, and then I go do it. And then I come back to you and you're like, you didn't. Right. We need to go to another precinct right. and let me show you how to. And then we. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point you. I can't wait to beep all that out so no one knows what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> okay, like, well, you know, look. Yes we, or no? We don't agree on everything, and that's not the point of this podcast, is to agree on everything. Yeah, but um, yeah. I think murder, you know, is, you know, that's, you should agree that it's it's bad. <clears throat> it's bad. Murder's <laughs> <laughs> <It was> bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's it there's one thing that's a staple here at totally biased music and is that murder is bad murder that is bad. much we know um okay well ladies and gentlemen that was the charles manson story abbreviated um 
we could have gone on a lot longer. Sorry, I talked a lot, Trey and Shania. Um, I kind of just had a bunch of research and I don't know, just kind of wanted to run through it. But I appreciate okay. y'all's insight and hope that you guys enjoyed it and learned something. And I hope the listeners like it. You put in a lot of time and effort. You know, I do have to say, this is like when you're watching like a TV show and they have that one like off like episode and you finish that TV show and you're like, you know, I didn't know about this at the beginning. You know what I mean? Like it's like a side story. Yeah. Like any given Always Sunny episode that features D. Right. You're like, you know, I don't know how I feel about this beginning at the end. You're like, you know, that was really that was different and I liked it and it was a different vibe. And I got to say hats off to the. To the leader of totally biased music, <laughs> it's gonna be um, very. It's gonna be one of those divisive episodes within the fan base. Either people well, are gonna love you it, said or they're that gonna Charles hate Manson it. Charles Manson basically was a great guy. That's, <laughs> that is that's, not what I said. That's where the divisiveness is gonna come in. There, right? It's gonna come at the end when you're like, "Yeah, I think he's okay." Yeah, it's not a direct quote. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Rides or dies. Let's get into oh, it. I thought we were just kind of done. No, we're gonna I didn't even listen to. Sh- oh, I didn't even listen to Shania's song. Well, good thing we're gonna play it right here for for all of us to listen to. All right, let's do it. Uh-oh. You have to play the whole song though. I'm not playing the whole song, Trey. We've already talked about this. Like, how can I know if a song rides or dies within a 30 second clip that's not even 30 full seconds? Listen, and t- I'm taking a page out of Anthony's book here. Anthony said you want to use it. Do not bring up the spirit of Anthony. <laughs> he said that you want it to be a preview to get people to go listen to the track, to get them engaged. Okay, but to be fair, the first like few seconds of the song is just like kind of talking and then it gets vibey. So you got to listen to it for. A little more I'll fast forward. I'll fast forward to a minute in. Trey, look at my screen. Okay, I'm gonna click play. And we're gonna watch it go to a minute thirty. Okay, is that good enough for you? I'm gonna be focused on the song. Because I'm <laughs> getting to say, "Hey, Daddy," I'm already in. <laughs> <laughs> This I've already added this to a playlist. This song fucking rides. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, I think our music taste might align more than me and Blake's music taste at this current day and age. <laughs> I think that's and actually between, probably accurate. Between well, Pine Grove and this. Yeah. <laughs> I was wearing a Pine Grove t-shirt the other day and he came out and I was he was like, Is that a Pine Grove t-shirt? I said, Yeah, and he said, uh-uh. He, like, he was visibly like ill looking at me. What color was the t-shirt? Blue. You left it, I think. Blake pull fucking Jassic. No, I did not know. I did Are not you fucking know. kidding me? I just put two and two together. As you're asking that question, I just put two and two together. Oh, I asked him. Shania. Shania, I have asked him a thousand times about that shirt. I'm like, dude, I really think I left it in your bedroom. He's like, nah, dude. I looked everywhere. So. I asked him when I saw it. I said, what is, who is this? Whose Pine Grove t-shirt is this? And he said, I think it's Trace. I think he left it for you. And I was like, oh, that was so nice. That <laughs> did not happen. No, that is, that is the first time I've seen that shirt since that whole incident happened. No, 
Oh, it is. Tonight, I've got great news for you. I already <laughs> ordered a new one online. And okay, I already good. have it. So I'll you send can it back if you shirt. want it. No, no, I already have the exact same shirt. Okay. Double XL everything. So yeah, it's all that's cool. all yours. No, um, I'm glad that you ended up with it. I'm just glad it didn't get lost like in a gutter somewhere. So no. Okay, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> is um, what I would call that. What did you think about the song here that the Chennai chose, Blake? Um, I really like it. It's a vibe. I go ahead. I went ahead and added it to my likes um so yeah i like it it's a ride where, where did you find these people who are these people um i don't know i like randomly will go through spotify and look at music like this i mean i like i like stuff that has live saxophone and stuff like that and it just started out really cool with like the talking so it just immediately caught my ear um i found it a few weeks ago so nice um we're gonna go on to trays i love the band name too onyx collective this is not what the fuck is going on here. What are you doing? What's doing here? I don't know, man. I'm still figuring out this whole podcast thing. All right, where do you want me to go in the song? On a like a minute in. A minute in. I do like yeah, that's fine. All right, here we go. So tell us a little about TV on the radio there, Trey, and why you chose this song. TV on the radio is a pretty popular like indie rock band. Um, Fish actually covers a TV on the radio song called Golden Age, um, if you're familiar with that that Fish cover. Um, Very pog. Nice. Yeah, and they're pretty I, – I like TV on the radio. I'm not like a, a huge fan, but I heard the song – actually, I think when I was out in Denver and I enjoyed it, so I threw it on an April playlist, and then when Push came to show for Rides or Dies – I figured this one uh, might be something you'd enjoy. What'd you think? Well, I dig it, good sir. I'm giving it a hard ride. It's, it's a it's a vibe. Both of your songs were vibey, um, so it definitely fit the tone. My song is going to be very jarring and not anything like these, so I kind of ruined it, but that's okay. Um, so I'm giving it a ride. All right, well, thank you. Shania, what'd you think? I think it's vibey. I like vibey music. Um, I hadn't heard it before, but I just put it on my playlist. So, yeah, I give it a ride. Awesome let's go very nice yeah um i was trying to call an audible here because i know shania is just gonna hate this song but i can't really find one like off the top of my head um so i'm just gonna play my song and she's gonna have to do it hang on a second so this is a song by um bad meets evil which is royce the five nine and eminem um it is their their duo group so, um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and play it. Always seem to fucking work. Running down 975, about to hop on 696. I look over this fucking chick's trying to fix her makeup. I'm like, bitch, you ain't a plastic surgeon. I advise you to put up your visor. I'm getting kind of tick. You're blocking my side mirror. She's like, yes, yeah, so. I'm like, so. You gonna need a stitch. You keep acting like that, ho. I look like your husband, slut? That's a rhetorical question. You talk to me like you talk to him, I fuck you up. In fact, get in the backseat like the rest of my dates. No bitch ride shotgun. What? Taxi? Stop and pick you some maxi pads up. Is that what you actually asked me? 
this sounds like something that would, that would entice Charles Manson and his followers to maybe commit murder against women. Um, I mean, I just got to be honest with you, man. Like, this shit is not aged well at all. And I don't even mean from, like, a cancel culture woke kid perspective. Like, it's just not good. Um, I disagree. This album specifically, like, uh, when, like, I think of something, like, I used to like the song. I used to really like this album. And now I go back and listen to it. And I'm like, I just don't get what I was thinking. Really? Um, the whole album? That's not the majority of it. I, like, we can talk about this maybe later. But I just, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Um, you have your Google uh, Google Docs pulled up. I just want to make sure you know you're sharing your screen in case there's anything oh, I, weird on there. No, I don't have, um, we're, we're in the audio one. Okay, cool um but yeah i I would have to i would have to give this a dies um unfortunately you know i I really hate to hate on eminem yeah that's fair i'm I'm sorry i mean i gave you so many compliments earlier on the actual format of the podcast so i feel like if i like gave this a rise it's like a little it's a little too much yeah that's fair um shania um um i didn't hate it I love Eminem. I thought we were going to be limping with the biz whenever you said, you know, you were going to play your song, but um, which I'm glad you didn't. And if my mom ever listens to this, she's going to be so disappointed because Fred Durst was supposed to be her husband. Um, But I didn't hate it. I I didn't hate it. I just, I'm somewhere in between rides and dies. Is that something I can be? We do that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it that then. I just have to read this one lyric because this lyric is very much me. And I know, Trey, you will appreciate this one lyric. Um, it's better hit that map light, read the read them directions. Oh, yeah, you can't read and you can't write. Told me that last night. She took my CD out the deck, snapped in half like relapse sucked. I snapped, hit the gas like. <laughs> and that would be me if someone told me that relapse sucked. Yeah, relapse sucked. Yeah, you just fuck them up. <laughs> because I fucking love relapse. Um <laughs> All right, that was Rides or Dies. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time. I don't know how prepared he is, but Trey Trey is going to bring us home here with... Welcome to Trey's very short Twitter takes. My name is Trey, and I will be your host this evening. Um, Apparently, the Met Gala is going on right now. Uh, So that's news. Um, and people look weird, and someone uh, tweeted earlier, her name's Internet Baby, a.k.a. at Kurt Pate, or maybe Pate. Um, probably someone who was terminally online based on their uh, right. handle. Um, she said, please, Rihanna, put me out of my misery. I'm not really sure how funny that is. It was the first tweet that was on my timeline when I opened up Twitter. Wasn't funny at all. Thank you, though. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. But here's a picture of Rihanna at the Met Gala. Uh, and this is pretty goofy, I gotta say. Um, if you want to open up that that link, she's like covered in white roses, and she looks preposterous. I don't understand these people. Okay, <laughs> so now onto our one and only tweet, um, which was mentioned earlier. This is from Andrew Tate, aka yeah, Cobra Tate, Cobra Tate. He says. He says, avoid women who go to festivals. They're either on some loser's table who's feeding them cocaine or in a crowd of sweaty peasants because they're a sweaty peasant. Endless Instagram stories screaming and having fun to prove to the world they're worthless. Hard pass festi hoes. 
<laughs> get okay. rolled. Holy so first shit. Off, first off, Andrew Tate on the, the, the second sentence there about they're either on some loser's table who's feeding them cocaine or they're in a crowd of sweaty peasants because they're a sweaty peasant. Why not both? You can do cocaine and be a sweaty peasant, and you can do cocaine and be in a crowd full of other people that are on cocaine, which makes them sweaty, and they have less money because of the cocaine purchase, therefore peasants. That is true. Um, and uh, the second part, like, brother, you need to chill. He's just got <laughs> so many, like, weird thoughts. He's so strange, dude. So then his follow-up tweet to this is, imagine being 24 and gorgeous and sweet and nice and finally getting a date with the top G. I'm assuming he means he's, he's the top G. <laughs> and he finds out you went to a festival when you were 19 and you get left on red and never recover and argue with your new men for the rest of your life because they're just not me. Okay, there's a lot wrong here. We're going to unpack it. First off, the issue number one that I have is like, bro, you're going to hold something that someone did on a weekend five years ago against them as a potential partner. Holy fuck. That sounds exhausting. You don't have the standards of the top G, bro. You don't understand. Like the background checks he must be doing on these potential women. (laughs) It's got to be severe. It's got to be Charles Manson type background checks, bro. I like to imagine he's like met this girl. They've fallen in love. Like, you know, it's Andrew Tate, but it's still somehow like a weird love story. And then like one day he's just like finds her like Fensa account and like sees that she went to Coachella five years ago. And it's like, absolutely (laughs) fucking not get out of my house. Yeah. That would be perfect. (laughs) Um, Anyway, fuck Andrew Tate. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck that guy. That's all I have for Trey's terrible Twitter takes this week. Um, All right. Truly terrible human being. I have two. One of them is not a tweet. One of them is a comic and I wish I could show you guys, but I can't, but it's a guy and he's in the chat. It's on my phone. That's the whole thing. I don't know how to do that. Um, so he's he's basically it's a guy wearing like a little suit and he's answering a telephone and it says, "Hi, you've reached Bert's Refrigerators and Butthole Pictures. This is Bert." And he says, "Oh, sure thing. We can deliver a fridge by Friday." And did you want? I already see where this is going. <laughs> and did you want any? Just the fridge then, okay? <laughs> did you want any? Just the fridge then, okay? <laughs> Refrigerators and butthole pictures, okay? And then this is the tweet. So you know, I've been working my way through the Transformers movies right now. Um, and this tweet came at the perfect time. It says, "Unfortunately, yes, I am saddled with that information." <laughs> It says, I found the moment, exclamation mark. Transformers ending with an unironic Optimus Prime monologue about the promise of mankind as a camera pans to Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox making out on the hood of an 07 Camaro as the sun sets. And, and what I've done by Linkin Park fades in the background is when America peaked. <laughs> what year? What year? What year? What year? What year did Transformers? <laughs> I'm just playing the chorus of what I've done in my head. And this is my hang on. <laughs> what I've done. It came out in 2007. Thank you. That sounds about right. Before Obama ruined this great nation. God damn it. Thanks a lot, Obama. 
<laughs> All right. Oh, Ladies man. and gentlemen, if you made it this far, thanks for sticking around. Shania, thank you for joining us as our first female guest. God damn, we are progressive. Round of applause wow. for us. Amazing. Thank you, Shania. You are you are fantastic. Um thanks for, for everybody. Having me. <laughs> For everybody that hates listening to my voice, sorry. I don't know what else to tell you. Skip the next episode. (laughs) Just go to the next one, brother. I'm glad you told him that at the end. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, Thanks, everybody. We will see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Good night.